morning, guys. Can all have a seat? Welcome to Free Church. My name is Anthony. I am pastor here of this church, and if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us as well. Um, first of all, we are in this endless summer, and it is wonderful. Um, it is October, what is it, the 9th? And wow, it's going to be like 80 degrees today, and I am enjoying it. And for those of you who don't enjoy it, just just deal with it. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, we got a couple like family business things to do today. Actually, a lot of things going on in our services today, both at 9 and 11. Um, one of the things we'll be getting to in a moment is to continue our series called Supernatural. And before we get into um, some of the family business that we have, I want to share with you kind of a little recap of last week's message. Last week, we opened up this idea of supernatural, uh, that what the world sees as supernatural um, in the life of a Christian in regard to our walk with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is actually natural, and that the things that the world sees as supernatural should be a natural occurrence in the life of a believer. Not only natural, uh, but we introduced this idea of hypernatural. Uh, hypernatural is that which is fully natural, that which is extremely natural. The full reality of God's creation is to walk in the ways of the Spirit as we have been saved through and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Those things are hypernatural. And we discussed how, as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living within us, but it is not the goal or the will of God just to have the Spirit within us, but to actually be filled with the Spirit. And this idea of being filled with the Spirit is a continual, ongoing filling. And we had this illustration at the end of the message with the balloons that we are filled and we are to seek to be filled consistently with the Spirit because so often we are filled in order to give out. And as we kind of deplete ourselves in service of others or even getting the wind knocked out of us in life, we must then push into and rely on the Holy Spirit to fill us again and again, and again, and again. And I gave you a couple of steps from Ephesians 5 on how we can position ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I hope that this last week um, you could start to think on, think about those things. What, what is it in my life that I need to do to ready myself, to position myself, to prepare myself to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit? And I asked you for five weeks, over the next five weeks, to really diligently be pressing into these things and await and ask for the Spirit to do something, not only in the life of our church, but in your home and your family and in your personal life as well. And we have, um, I start to introduce it now, but on November the 6th, that's the first Sunday of November, uh, a friend of our church and a member of the network of churches we're a part of named uh, Steve Sampson is going to come and minister in some of these ways that we are talking about, some of these ways that we're discussing how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and ministers to us. And um, Steve Sampson has one of the most unique prophetic ministries. Well, it is the most unique prophetic ministry I've ever witnessed in my life, in my ministry and walk with Christ, as God uses him in this just miraculous, gentle, powerful, non-weird, non-strange way um, that will really, really um, impact your life and ignite your faith. So uh, I want us to be prepared for that as we go through this series. And so with all that being said, I want to kind of do a couple family business things today. Um, first of all, I have an announcement for you, and that is we are getting back to real life, um, getting back to real life post-COVID. 
And one of the things that we've struggled with doing as a church and the church in general is just finding ways to connect in a post-COVID world. Um, so we have launched and started some quarterly men's and women's events. And the women's event we had a couple of Fridays ago uh, was a great turnout, a good time. Um, my wife Susan led that ministry in that night, um, spoke to our women, encouraged them. And we're going to have our first men's one this Friday night. So this Friday night, which is... October, what is it, 14th, uh, this Friday, October 14th at 6 p.m., um, I'll be hosting a men's night, and we will have dinner. The dinner is going to be ribs and potatoes, because nothing says men more than ribs and potatoes. Um, so ribs and potatoes um, served here. Um, I'll be speaking, challenging the men of our church, and then we'll just have a time of prayer. There's, there's not a huge agenda for these. It's just for the purpose of, of connecting, challenging, ministering to each other. Um, so if your last name, if you're a man, if your last name ends, or not ends, if your last name begins with the letter A, uh, we expect you to be here. And if your last name begins with the letter Z, I don't think anybody does, but we expect you to be here too. So men, uh, come out this Friday. It'll be about an hour and a half or so, or as long as you want to hang out. And one thing that my wife and I have been discussing as we head next year into the summer, um, we're going to kind of wrap up our year of men's and women's quarterly events with some really cool things. Um, as we go into the next year and make this more consistent. So um, be at that this Friday, men. And then I want to introduce two other ways you can connect. And the first way is through uh, home groups. And again, because we are called Free Church, we can do all sorts of cheesy names. And so our home group ministry are now Free Fam uh, home groups. And those start this month. And I want to invite my friend Rick Herman. Rick is a new leader overseeing our Free Fam home groups. Because whenever Rick talks, he says, right, fam? He uses the word fam in his, all of his sentences. Not really. Um, it's weird if you're a Gen Z and you do that. But uh, Rick, come on up um, and then tell people how they can get plugged into small groups. And then uh, he needs a microphone if someone wants to hand him one here in a moment. Zion or Abby, if you guys have your mic, here it is. Awesome. Excellent. Rick, take Works. it away. Perfect. Okay. Um, first, I'm really uh, happy and thankful. Uh, several families have... Uh, been willing to serve and, and give up their homes and their time, so I'm happy that there is uh, several options for small groups. Um, there's a couple of groups in South Salem. There's one in Staten. Um, we have a, a men-specific group and a women's-specific group, and we already know about the young adults, so, um, so I'm really happy about that. Um, also, I sent out a survey. Um, it, you guys can still answer it even though we're kind of set because there are seven questions. Some is about future groups. So your feedback would be really appreciated on that. Um, what else? Oh, how to sign up. Uh -huh, that's a trick. Um, two ways. There is the Church Center app if you're on your phone. Um, doesn't work on your computer, so you go to Church Planner if you're on, or Planning Center if you're on your computer. And the website, on the website you can sign up, right? FreeChurchLive.com. FreeChurchLive.com. Um, what else? So, um, and if you want to know, uh, just jumping in with Rick about the, the app, if you want to go to our app, if, if you open it up and just click more, there's an option, uh, three options down just says groups and click on that and it will show you all the groups you can sign up for. And yeah, there really is a, a great assortment of groups uh, from games to C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. study to waking up at 6 a.m. at Starbucks group yes. and uh, to women doing women's things groups on Saturday morning. So there's a lot of great options and it's crucial um, that you really choose a way to connect this year. And, and I wanted to say, too, I was, I was reading in Ephesians this week and talking about us being one body. 
and I was thinking about these groups, and, uh, and I just think as we get to know each other, we're all one body. Uh, the church will be stronger, but each of us will be individually encouraged, too. So I'm excited about this season coming up. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Rick. Sure. Give Rick a hand. Um, those start, again, the next few weeks, uh, groups start rolling out. The Young Adults starts this Tuesday. Um, all of the dates are in there. And we do them in semesters, and so this isn't like you've signed up for a group for eternity. Um, it's, they actually end in December before Christmas. And so we do them at rhythm and semesters, and so it's a great way to get connected. And then uh, one more way to connect, I want to invite my friend Nate Amerson to come up. And Nate Amerson is uh, stepping into a role here as our theology pastor. And we are starting our um, freeway discipleship track. And Nate's going to talk about how you can get plugged into that here um, literally within the next couple of weeks. All right. So again, continuing the free church, free fam, free way theme. This is um, sort of a whole series of curriculum that Anthony has really designed that is really uh, for adult education to build the faith of the believer, to build us as a body like Rick talked about in common belief, understanding do the doctrines of the church, what we believe as a church, and then building on those into how you live out your belief both within the church in worship and in other aspects of church ministry and life. And then finally, how you live out those beliefs in the community when you go to work and when you go to school. So starting again, the same time period as small groups like Rick talked about, the same week, I believe October 17th is that Monday, we're gonna be starting, um, I think it's an eight or nine week series of understanding the foundations of, of belief. Some people call these the basic doctrines of the church. It's basic, basic beliefs. And it really is what Anthony has designed is to get us all on the same page, understanding what Free Church believes what we believe as Christians in general, and to lay that foundation. That's why it's called Foundations. So again, from the app, you can go to event registration. From there, you'll see the various things that are coming up, trunk or treat, et cetera. The Foundations link is one of those. You click on the Foundations link. From there, you just register. Very easy. Monday nights, 6.30? 6.30 on Monday nights. And again, that'll run through um, a couple weeks before Christmas. Yeah, that's it. And so those uh, foundations of faith uh, is going to be in our kids' wing downstairs. I know we've got well over 10 people signed up so far. It's going to be it's going to be really great. So Nate's done an amazing job. He's an amazing teacher, and he's also a doctor. Um, so um, check those Not out. You can do both a group and you can do a foundations class because there will never be a group on a Monday night because we have our foundations classes that are going to go in semesters. So. One more family thing um, involving um, kind of two people. First, I'm going to have Caleb Oakleberry come join me on stage real quick, and then I'm going to ask after him uh, to have Lynn Williams come up. But Caleb, if you want to come on up real quick to the stage. Uh, Caleb. Uh, Caleb wandered in. Uh, he wandered into a Sunday night service that we had here at our church like a year and a half ago, I think, maybe two, uh, two years ago now. And the last three years are kind of a blur. But he, he wandered in about two years ago. And I don't remember all the details, but I know I saw Caleb, and God gave me a prophetic word for you that I shared with you the night that you were here. And um, ever since, Caleb has really become an integral part of our church family and has been such a blessing. Um, and, and I just want to share, Caleb's been a blessing to me. He's, he's become a friend. He is um, someone who is extremely reliable, extremely faithful, um, extremely knowledgeable of God's word, and really gifted and called into ministry. And so... Um, we are, over the next couple weeks, commissioning some leaders into roles they're taking on, and um, the, 
next service, we're going to actually commission him into ministry, but this is just a brief introduction for our 9 o'clock service. Um, but he's going to be taking on the role of our middle school director, uh, serving under our youth pastor, Ladina Doherty. And um, he also is going to, he just uh, is taking on a, a staff role here at our church as well as what we're just calling a uh, production lead. That He's going to be doing a lot of behind the scenes things for us throughout the week. And so I was going to say, you're going to see a lot of Caleb, but you do anyways. And so I don't, that's really going to change. He's just going to have some titles with seeing him more often. So again, we're going to pray for him at the next service. We're going to uh, commission him into ministry as he pursues a uh, ministry license in the next couple years. But um, this is Caleb. Give him a hand. And uh, if you want to stick around as we commission him for the next service, you can do that. Thank you, Caleb. Get off the stage. Okay. And then next is uh, Lynn Williams, if you want to come up. And if you want to bring... Uh, if you want to bring your wife up with you as well. People really like Caleb and Lynn. I don't think I've ever been applauded for before. Um, okay, so here, I'll move out of your guys' way. So um, same thing. Lynn wandered into our church about two years ago in the summer. And by wandering in, he wandered out because we had out, outside services then. And, and he ended up here um, because we had church during COVID outside um, had served for decades, uh, yeah, yeah, about 30 years in, in children's ministry um, in another community close by, felt called to, to end up here for some reason. And, 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 and God, God has shown with, with much evidence and uh, confirmation that God did lean Lynn and Kristen here. And I was looking through some passages of Scripture where uh, Paul is telling Timothy about leaders not, he basically says, don't lay hands too soon. And what that means is um, to really watch people and, and see if they are, um, if they're qualified, to see if, if God's spirit is upon them. And so over the last, you know, two years with Caleb and two years with you, we've watched you, and not that we never trusted either of you, but God's trust for you and, and God's call in your life has become so clear to us um, that you too are our family. And so, um, as we, last week, we, we blessed and sent off uh, Bridget and Casey Freshour um, from their roles here at a church as they go and explore new adventures in ministry. Um, Bridget actually handpicked Lynn to um, take on her position when she left to be our next uh, kids director. And as she was sharing with me that she was leaving, we're like, well, Lynn is obviously um, the one to step into this role. And I shared with some of you privately about uh, the fresh hours leaving, and many of you said, "Well, Lynn is going to be the new kids pastor, right?" And we're like, "Yeah, of course. It's just, it's just he does an uh, amazing job." And so, not only are we just, you know, welcoming you into this role today, he's going to be a kids director, but we're also going to be commissioning you into ministry. And so, being decades in ministry, um, coming with with great recommendations from other ministries and pastors, we're commissioning him into ministry officially today. Um, to work under a two-year internship under my supervision here at the church to be licensed. So you would be um, the Reverend uh, Lynn <laughs> Williams, and you would be our kid's pastor, not just our kid's director. And so uh, we, wanna, we do want to lay hands, and it's not too hasty. We want to lay hands on you today, bless you, pray for you into this role. And I want to actually ask some of our leaders to come up, and if you lay hands on, on Lynn with me as we pray for him, and we're going to present to him, this is just a piece of paper, but it means a lot more than a piece of paper, is just saying that um, we as a church, we see God's call on the life of, of Lynn and Kristen, and God's call to ministry on his life, and that we trust him as a church, and we are commissioning him into this role. 
um, to see him be one day uh, a, a pastor. And so we'll give you this here, and we're going to lay hands on him. And if you would extend your hands this way, and as, as we pray for him, just be praying for God to bless our children and our families through him. And if you want to serve in kids' ministry, this guy is an amazing guy to serve with. And so if you have questions about how to be involved in that, let him know. But let's, let's pray and, and just bless him. So, God, thank you uh, for your servant, Lynn. Thank you for your spirit that dwells within him, that fills him, that overflows him. God, this man exudes love and passion and compassion and calling into ministry, God, for today's world. God, I thank you for the, uh, the desires and the passion and the longing you've put into his heart to reach families. Um, God, the, the severe calling he has in his life and this, this wonderful burden he carries, God, to see kids know you. Lord Jesus, I pray that through him he would continue to touch many lives and lead many to Christ. Lord, I've heard of so many um, adults <laughs> and adults that, that were kids in his ministry, that now have kids that have been through his ministry, that have given testimonies about how Lynn made an impact in their life to lead them to Christ, and they still look to him um, just as a, a solid source of faith and support in their lives. God, so we, we commission him, Lord Jesus. We, we offer him up to you. We ask you to have your will in his life and the ministry that he takes hold of here. God, as he leads our, our teams and our volunteers and as he leads our families and our children um, to pursue an everlasting committed relationship with you, God, bless him, fill him, provide for him, equip him, and watch over him, God. Um, Lord, we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Lynn, so much. Thank you. Okay, so a lot, like I said, a lot of family business, but it was all good, really good family business. Um, let's go on to our, our sermon this morning. Um, at the conclusion of our sermon, we are going to have a baptism. Like I said, there's a lot of things going on today. Um, and as I'm pulling up my notes, baptism in water is just something outwardly to display what God has done inwardly within your heart. Just as Jesus died and was buried and rose again, we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit underwater and raise them back up again to show that our, that their life, their old life of sin is now dead and buried with Christ and that they have a new resurrected life in Christ. And so we get to celebrate baptism. And if you've never witnessed a baptism here at Free Church before, we just do them during our, our worship set as we close our service um, so that, one, it is a public declaration but also a celebration as we sing. Um, maybe you come from a background where maybe you share a testimony or show a video before uh, you're baptized. That's nice, but we just don't do that because we like it to be both public and, and intimate and personal as well. And we don't want a, a public um, testimony over a microphone to prevent anybody from taking that step of their faith in baptism. And so if you'd like to be baptized, you can sign up on our app as well. Um, we do baptisms here quarterly, and um, we'll have baptism again um, right after Christmas, and so we'd love to have you take that next step in your faith if you haven't yet. So we recapped last week um, this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Um, next week, we're going to look at the spiritual gifts that God gives, um, how those are used in the church today. Then we're going to look at the spiritual fruit our life bears. But I want to give kind of a foundation for last week's message, and before we go on, and just kind of do what I would call um, Holy Spirit 101, just like What's the foundation for all of this? What does the Bible say about God the Holy Spirit? And so um, I'm just going to lead you through a couple of ideas that we can find in Scripture, what we know about the Holy Spirit, 
And while this may seem very, you know, teachy, it, it is, um, let it lay this foundation for the experience that we seek with the Spirit and how we can operate in what he has for our lives. And so the first thing I want to share in this foundation we're laying is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, yesterday, my wife and I got to uh, hang out with our friends, Brian and Paula Lehman. And uh, when we were finishing dinner last night, um, their son James wanted to show me his room. And he had a Bible and he had me read uh, a story from the Bible to him of a kid's Bible about Lazarus. And in the story, Jesus prayed that Lazarus would be resurrected from the dead. And James looked at me and said, why does Jesus pray? And I was like, that's a great question. Jesus is God. Why does he pray? And I was like, well, James, let me tell you about the Trinity. And uh, Brian and Paula had already had that discussion with him. But what, what Christianity believes wholeheartedly, the foundation of our faith, is that God exists forever and always, co-equally, co-eternally, as God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is God. The New Testament of the Bible, if if you've ever doubted that the Holy Spirit of God, the New Testament explicitly calls the Holy Spirit God. In Acts chapter 5, one of the earliest events in the church, Peter explicitly, there's no denying, he directly calls the Holy Spirit God. And the Holy Spirit, we know, is God as referenced by his power. The Holy Spirit has the power of God because he is God. We know that the Holy Spirit of God is God because of his work in creation. Genesis 1, 2, the very second verse in the Bible. It says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. He was involved in creation. And we know the Holy Spirit is God in reference by his omnipresence. He is everywhere. David says in Psalms 139, where can I go from your spirit? God's spirit is everywhere. And so the Holy Spirit is God. Not only is the Holy Spirit God, and this is strange to say about God, but the Holy Spirit is plainly, biblically, a person. Um, One thing that we have done in Western culture is we have mistakenly and often confused the Holy Spirit um, almost as if he is the force in Star Wars. Almost as if it's this Buddhist idea that's like it's just this immaterial But no, the Holy Spirit is a unique, individual, eternal person. Not merely an extension of God, but a unique representation of God. His personhood is shown throughout the Bible by his ability to be grieved. In Ephesians 4, Paul says when we sin as Christians, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, His personhood is referenced in Acts 7 when Peter cries out through a sermon, or um, Stephen actually, in a sermon, he says that we can resist the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He can be resisted. He can be grieved. And then finally in Hebrews 10, it says that when a Christian sins, that the Holy Spirit can actually be insulted. Some translations say outraged. And so the Holy Spirit is a unique person. Because of that, last week we we talked about and we taught that we can actually pray to the Holy Spirit. We can pray to the Father. We can pray to the Son, Jesus Christ. We can pray to the Spirit. We do it all through and by the power and name of Jesus. But you and I can talk to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a person. So the Spirit is God. 
The Spirit is a unique individual. And we start to get a better understanding of the Spirit by Jesus' promise to the church before he ascends to the Father in heaven after his death and resurrection. Jesus promises the church, the Holy Spirit, specifically to help us. He's called our helper. How many of you need help? Like, I, I need so much help. And the Bible tells us that Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come to help to be with us, to be in us, and to reveal the truth to us as we, the church, wait for him, as we wait for his return. And Jesus says that when the Spirit would come, and he has, when the Spirit would come, that the church would know the Spirit because it knows Jesus Christ. And so let's look at that verse, John 14, 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit is eternal. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because the world doesn't see the Holy Spirit or know the Holy Spirit, but you know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. And this is before the day of Pentecost, and he will dwell in you. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit also to baptize us. This is, we kind of alluded to this last week, it's kind of this hotly debated topic, but let's take the debatable things out of it. Jesus just says that the Holy Spirit will come to baptize. In Acts 1, verse 4 through 5, it says, While staying with the 120 Christians, Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, that's the Holy Spirit, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So baptized in the Holy Spirit. This idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit was to literally be immersed in him. It was to be changed by him. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come like fire, meaning he changes and transforms us. To be baptized in the Spirit is to be set forth to live a new life under his power, under his control, and under his influence. Speaking of power, he doesn't only promise the Spirit to come and to be in us and with us and to help us and to reveal truth to us and to baptize us, but Jesus promises the Spirit to empower us for the Great Commission. Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. That is the Great Commission. It is the mission Jesus has given us, but to go out on a mission, we need the gas to fill our cars in order to go, and that is the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. You and I cannot complete the mission God has for our life without power, and that power comes explicitly, exclusively from God the Holy Spirit himself. And so this is the promise of Jesus that he would ask the Father, and the Father would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would come and help and fill and reveal truth and baptize us and empower us. And the Holy Spirit did do just that. He came. The Holy Spirit descended upon the first 120 Christians on planet Earth on a Jewish festival day known as Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. Those 120 people were crammed into a room much smaller than this, waiting for the Spirit to come. 
They had no idea what it would be like when the Spirit came. They had no preconceived notions of what would happen when the Spirit would come. They didn't know what to look for or what to recognize. And I would encourage you as well not to limit the Holy Spirit. Don't think that, yes, the Holy Spirit will come in X, Y, and Z, and we will put him in a box. And if it's not this way, then I don't have the Spirit. The first church, they had no preconceived notions. But he did come, and when the Spirit came, they knew it. And when the Spirit comes on your life, you know it as well. And so Acts 2, 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the Christians were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. How many of you felt the earthquake a couple of days ago? You you heard the earthquake. You thought the dog was jumping on your bed. Um, They heard something. They heard this mighty rushing wind. And I want to remind you that the Bible is descriptive. It describes things. The Bible doesn't always prescribe things. What that means is, if you're not careful, if if you look at Scripture and say the Holy Spirit can only come like this, then I would question every experience someone's had with the Holy Spirit if it wasn't preceded by the sound of wind. See, we we don't know how the Spirit's moving. Jesus tells us he comes around like the wind, going to and fro. We never know what the Spirit's doing, but he impacts us and guides us and leads us, and he surprises us. And I want to be surprised by the Spirit. And the disciples were surprised by the Spirit as they heard that sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, this is Luke's best description of what happened. He doesn't say there were literal disembodied tongues on fire flying through the room. That would be horrifying. I want nothing to do with that. He's like, it's like tongues of fire. It's like flickering fire. It's like above their heads. He's trying to describe something that we would say is supernatural that our eyes cannot describe on their own. And it says that this was resting on each of them. This represents the fire the baptism of fire of the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll talk about what they were saying in a couple weeks. We don't have time to get into that today. But this is their experience when the Spirit came. The Spirit did come. He descended upon the church. He baptized the church. He filled the church and He gave them gifts. If you want something to study this week, look at Ephesians 4, where it talks about when Jesus resurrected from the grave and when he ascended to the Father in heaven, that he led captivity in his train and he gave gifts to men. When Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended and gave the church gifts. The promise was fulfilled. The promise continues to be filled to this day as the Holy Spirit does continue to baptize new believers into the body of Christ. If you have been saved, you've had an encounter with the Spirit. So this new baptism in the Holy Spirit that Acts describes, that the New Testament describes, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't active prior to the day of Pentecost. But it means that he was poured out in a new way. Because if you read through the Old Testament, you learn that people like Samson were clothed with the power of the Spirit. That the Spirit equipped people for specific tasks, but now 
under the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our souls, the Spirit that now doesn't just clothe certain people, but it fills all people who call on the name of Jesus. And the result of that arrival, the result of this baptism of the Holy Spirit that day, it was a very obnoxious, annoying man who always said the stupid thing, who always ran away when he was scared, Peter, filled with the power of the Spirit. He steps out into a crowd of over 10,000 people, and with the power of the Spirit, he goes to make disciples. He preaches the gospel. And the crowd that day that listened to Peter preach the gospel, it says they were cut to the heart. That was the Spirit that cut them. They were cut to the heart, and they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And this promise, it's for you. And it's for your children. And it's for all who are far off, meaning for us today as well. So Peter preached. Upwards of 10,000 people came to the faith were baptized in water on that very day, and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was the primer for the birth of the church. And just as the Holy Spirit was the primer for those 10,000 people receiving Jesus 2,000 years ago, he is the primer for us receiving Jesus today as well. So here's how the Holy Spirit takes active part in your salvation. We'll have to go through these quickly. I've got an infographic I'll share with you when we're done that you can begin to meditate on these things throughout this week. But here's what the Spirit does in our lives. Number one, he convicts us of sin. John 16, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So in your salvation, the only reason that you are convicted of sin is because the Spirit convicts you of sin. When we are convicted of our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit himself and alone that then shows us our need for a Savior. You and I would not know that we needed saving unless the Spirit shows us. And so he convicts us. He shows the need for a Savior. And then in this process of finding new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit himself gives us life. Jesus says directly in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. If you have life today, if you have everlasting life in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is the one that gave that to you. And so this is how the Spirit saves us. And then the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, the moment that we are saved, the moment we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit immediately baptizes us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he, regardless of how you see that phrase, baptism, in the context we're talking about, he baptizes us into the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit then dwells within you. Romans 8, 9, Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. And to me, this is what I hold on to today. Of these things that the Spirit does, this is the most fascinating thing to me, is that the Spirit of God is literally in me. That's why the New Testament says the Spirit that rose Christ from the grave, paraphrasing, is alive and well inside of us. He goes with you. You take the Spirit wherever you go. Anytime you need Him, He is there. The Spirit of God is always with you. We don't need to say, Holy Spirit, come. We don't need to say, Holy Spirit, activate. We don't need to say, Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Because He's already here. We just simply step into what He's already doing. And we open ourselves to be filled with the power that's already among us. So He dwells within us. The moment that we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, here's a weird word, he regenerates us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The moment you and I find faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature. We are made a new creation. Jesus says we are born again. What this means is that he gives us new desires. What it means is that the moment that the Spirit fills us and dwells within us, all of a sudden we begin to have a desire to please God, which was impossible without the Spirit. We begin to not have a desire to sin. We still sin. Our flesh still wrestles with sin, but our soul, our heart does not desire to displease and grieve the Spirit. And so the Spirit gives us this new nature. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit also seals you until the day of redemption. How many of you have a seal? Like it just lives in your bathtub at home. It would be strange. But he seals us. Uh, in the ancient Near East, a seal was typically a ring that someone had. And when they would write a letter or when they would write up a document, they would put essentially a wax seal over that, and they would press their seal or their ring into that, and it did two things. That stamp of approval on that letter or on that document, number one, it showed that this particular document, it belongs to someone. It is like a sign of ownership. How many of your moms wrote your name on your coat before you went to school? That was a seal that said, this is Billy's coat. How many of your moms wrote that on your underwear? That's strange. But I saw some kids that that happened. Like, wait, we're not, no one's going to take your underwear. But it was a sign that it belongs to someone. And so when the Spirit of God dwells within you, at the moment of salvation, he seals you. And I love this because when the enemy looks at you, when the forces of evil look at you, they see that seal. And when they see that seal, it's essentially God's voice saying, She is mine. He is mine. Don't touch him. They belong to me. It is a sign of adoption. It is a sign that you belong to the king. But this seal upon these documents pressed into wax, it also displayed authenticity. It's the real thing. When you look at a trademark or a copyright that is on a brand name, it says this is the real thing. It's not a knockoff. It's not a cheap imitation. And so if you're here today wrestling with the validity of your salvation, wrestling of not knowing whether or not you belong to Jesus, the spirit within you not only says you're his, but it says you're his and the real deal. 
Our faith is not dependent. Our salvation is not dependent on us or our works or how confused or unconfused we are. It is dependent upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the Spirit that fills us. And so if you have called on the name of Jesus and if you've encountered the Holy Spirit of God, put your faith in him. You're his and you are authentically his. It shows you belong to him and you are authentically saved. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Has anyone ever bought something from you and they gave you a deposit? Have you ever bought a house and put earnest money down and then put a deposit? This is what the Holy Spirit is within us. It is a guarantee of the fullness of joy that we will experience, that no eye has seen, that no ear has heard, what God has in store for those who love him. The Spirit is the guarantee that something better is ahead. And we can access and we can see it now like through a mere dimly, Paul says. We, we can just kind of experience the fullness and goodness of God, but one day we will fully experience the goodness of God. We will be known as we're known. We will see God as he is and look at him face to face. But right now, the spirit is a deposit and a seal on you that says you're his. He's coming. You're going to be his. You are his. You're authentically his. And God's got you. That's what the spirit does the moment we're saved. And then finally, here's what the spirit continues to do upon our salvation. So those of you who have put faith in Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit of God, here's what he keeps doing. Number one, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. How many of you use that word every day, multiple times a day? Always talking about sanctification at work and at school and in your neighborhood. It's not a word we use. But sanctifying us means that the Holy Spirit continuously until the day that we die he sanctifies us. It means he makes us more like Jesus. It means he's changing us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's equipping us from glory to glory. He's making us into something new. Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You and I are being changed. Salvation is free. Sanctification is not. Salvation is given freely as a gift of grace that you receive in faith. Sanctification sucks. I'll say it. Sanctification is work. Sanctification is us being made more and more and more like Jesus, and that produces growing pains inside of us. But God is transforming you into something new. You are being sanctified, and you might be able to look back at your life five years ago after you had been saved for another five years, and you might say, like, wow, I'm a lot different than who I was now. I got a whole new set of problems now, but I'm sure grateful that that old set of problems was restored in Jesus Christ, and now he's working on something else. How many of you found out when you're done working with something, God has something new for you to work on all over again? He's always changing us. There's some denominations of Christians that say, a Christian can be fully sanctified and never sin on earth. I'm like, wow, the Apostle Paul... That didn't happen to him, and so you must be pretty special. It's because it doesn't work that way. You are never fully sanctified until you stand directly in the presence of Jesus. 
and all of the effects of sin have been washed away. Next, what does the Spirit do for us after we've been saved? He reveals truth to us. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's word that has been hidden in our heart. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth. The Holy Spirit gives discernment so we can see what's true and what is not. The Holy Spirit also doesn't just reveal truth, but he comforts us. How many of you are grateful for the comfort of the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is odd because he comforts us, but he then also challenges us. The challenge sometimes feels like affliction. And so I've heard this said about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying this is theological absolute truth, but I understand the nuance of it is that the Holy Spirit oftentimes comforts those who are hurting and afflicts those who are proud. Meaning he just kind of challenges those who become self-righteous, arrogant, prideful. But, but for those who humble themselves, for those that God lifts up in their humility, he comforts us in our time of affliction. And we need God the Holy Spirit to be a comforter in our life, Acts 9.31. It says, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comforted the church, the church multiplied. That's interesting. We don't have lots of time to go down that rabbit trail. What if we were choosing to be comforted more by the Holy Spirit? Would the church multiply more? Maybe. Finally is this. The Holy Spirit, following our salvation, he speaks through us. Strangely, the Holy Spirit speaks for us. Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, When persecutors and governments and evildoers and dictators and kings, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I don't know how this works, but I've seen it work. I don't know how to do it, but it's happened through me. The Spirit of God dwelling within you who is truth itself, who reveals truth, who comforts, who convicts, does speak through Christians. And maybe you've had this experience where someone has spoken to you under the power of in the direction of the Spirit of God. And oftentimes in talking to people, something will come out of my mouth and it's almost as if I'm an observer just as much as the hearer of the words are. And like, well, how, how did you know that? Why did you say that? I'm like, that's interesting. I don't know either. But God spoke through me. Now in context, if we're being faithful to context, it's talking about like you're literally standing before trial, before someone like the Roman emperor Nero, who is about to behead you like what happened with the Apostle Paul. And the Spirit gives us utterance in those moments. I hope you and I don't have to utter in those moments. But for now, 
It's wonderful to have the Spirit speak through you when you don't know what to say. And because he's the comforter, I find that he does that most when people are hurting. When people are hurting or suffering, that God then is near to the brokenhearted. And God speaks through us to bring them peace. When someone is grieving or upset or is in trauma, I have found that my words aren't very helpful. But the Spirit of God who comforts is very helpful because he is our helper. And if we can rely on him and depend on him to know what to say and when to say it, we will see people changed. So the Spirit is involved in saving you. The Spirit does things within you the instant you are saved. And the Spirit continues to do things in your life throughout your salvation until the day you die or until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at kind of the final thing he does. And we could talk about millions of things he does. But he also gives people gifts. And he produces fruit. And each of you have a spiritual gift right now who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. We're going to start talking about what those gifts are. But more than any gift, you and I need to produce fruit in our lives. And we're going to talk about what that fruit is and how it is that God produces it. So would you bow your heads as we wrap this time up? When no one looking around... um, I knew we needed to lay some foundations today biblically for what we're talking about in a thorough way. But I was praying, asking the Spirit this week, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to land on? What do you want me to focus on? Out of all these things you do, where, where would you like our focus to be? Because we can't just, we just basically shotgunned out all sorts of things that the Spirit does. But, but I want to ask you, of, of this list that we went over, what stands out to you? Is it the conviction? Is that, is that what you long for? Is it the, the awe that the Spirit gives life? Is it the amazement that the Spirit baptizes you? Is it the sobering reality that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? For me, though, It's this idea about sealing, that you're sealed. I want to speak to those who question their salvation today. And as a pastor, I hear that often. That's common, to question your salvation. I think it's good that the concern is there. But it's something I want to challenge you with. Someone who does not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them, Someone who is concerned about whether or not their faith that they put in Jesus Christ was real. Someone who'd never done that before wouldn't be concerned about their salvation. You're not going to worry about it because you have not yet been regenerated in that state. And, And if you're wrestling with this idea like, do I belong to God? I would just ask yourself, have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I made him the boss, the Lord, the king, the ruler, the God of my life? Have I surrendered my life to him? And is it my desire 
deep down, because I still desire to sin, but deep down, is it my desire to please him? And if the answer is yes, then I would say, you got the seal. You're his. You belong to Jesus. And he, he says that no one can take you out of his hands. He says, you're secure in my hands. And he says, and I'm secure in the Father's hands. And you're secure because the Spirit is sealing you. And I would also imagine that seal going into that wax this morning, and not just saying that you're his, but you're authentically his. You belong to him. But if there's something in your heart, something really prodding and challenging you, the Bible tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so maybe there's something that's like, I haven't yet fully surrendered my life to Jesus. Then I would encourage you to walk down that trail that you have for a minute and say, do I have something I need to fully surrender that I haven't surrendered yet that has prevented me from having the faith that's needed to possess this gift of grace that God gives? And if there's something there, I would lay it down at the feet of God and say, God, would you take this? I need your help. I need your comfort. I need your baptism. I need your filling. And I give you my life. And I put my faith in you. And if that's you, if you'd say, hey, I've, I've, I really never have surrendered my life to Jesus. It's not a fact if I'm questioning of whether or not I have the seal of the Spirit on my life. I just know I don't. Today I desire that, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. With no one looking around, would you just as quick as you can, just raise your hand up super high and put it right back down, just because I want to celebrate with you and pray for you throughout this week. We won't have you walk to the aisle or, or, or stand up or anything like that. But you say, I, I need Jesus. I've never put my trust in him before, and today I want that. If that's you, would you just say, that, that's me. Raise your hand, put it right back down. Say, I need, I choose Jesus. I want to know I belong to him. I desire a relationship with God. If you're watching online, let us know. I want relationship with Jesus. The Bible says for those who are saved, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is conviction. There is conviction. And if you're following Jesus, and if you have the seal of the Spirit of God on your life, and, and God's convicting you right now of something, and you're questioning not your salvation, but you're questioning whether or not you need to lay something else down. I, I want to tell you we all need to lay something else down. There's something we all need to lay down. Whatever that is, I'm going to pray. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to celebrate, we're going to sing, we're going to baptize. Um, I just want to ask you to ask God, what is it, Lord? What is it that your spirit is, is challenging me to lay down? Because I have been sealed, I have been baptized, I have been filled, I have been indwelt, I have been given new life, I do have a new nature. And because of that, God, show me what I need to leave behind. So God, would you do just that? For anyone who's put their faith in you, Jesus, for the first time this morning, thank you for their new life, for being born again. The old is gone. God, bring the new. Lord, as we've looked over what your spirit does. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, as we sing and pray and worship and pray for each other and celebrate baptism, as we go about our weeks, would you show us any area that we need to lay down in front of you so that we can live a life that is worthy of our calling and worthy of the seal on our heart? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going we're gonna to begin to sing in, in just about a moment, uh, 30 seconds to a minute. We're going to celebrate baptism. And as you watch, um, 
uh, Spencer Ivanko is going to be baptizing his son, Bentley. And as you watch them come up, if you could actually sit down for just a moment while they come up um, so we can all watch, and then you can stand again to keep singing. And um, after the baptism, we'll have some of our team up front that would just love to pray for you over some of these things we've talked about or anything else. Not only as we sing, but after the service is dismissed, uh, we'll be here for prayer. So um, let's sing, let's worship, let's celebrate and press in to what the Spirit is doing in your life. Thank you.